as we turn our attention now to the reading and proclamation of God's word, let us bow for a word of prayer. O Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Therefore, illumine now our hearts and our minds, we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we might receive with childlike joy what you have to say to us today. All these prayers we make in the name of Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. Amen. The Old Testament lesson today comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. I invite you now to listen for God's word to you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand, fix them as an emblem on your forehead, and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And the New Testament lesson comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a child whom he put among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Denver house I grew up in bordered a, a city park in our backyard, and there was an elementary school at the end of the street, and oftentimes the teachers from that school would bring the children to the park to play during recess time, and so the park was quite busy on weekday mornings. One afternoon, one of our neighbors from a few houses down knocked on our door, and my dad answered. I was doing the home, my homework in the living room, so I overheard the conversation. And our neighbor wanted my dad to sign a petition to the city that would prohibit the school from bringing its children to the park during recess. The neighbor declared that the children made way too much noise. And my dad declined to sign the petition. When my neighbor asked why, he gave what has been for me a wonderful, memorable answer. He said, the sound of children playing doesn't bother me at all. In fact, I enjoy it. And I've never forgotten that wonderful moment of high regard for children. Sometimes those moments are few and far between in our rushed and ambitious lives. We don't mean to do it, but sometimes we just sort of overlook 
or forget children. In fact, it wasn't until I became a father myself that I realized how easily I used to do this sometimes. I wouldn't pause by the playground when I was walking around the park to watch children play. I wouldn't really interact with them on an airplane. I would just pop my noise-canceling headphones on and try to zone out. I wasn't even that comfortable baptizing them, what with their jello necks and their tendency to shriek into my microphone. But these days, I'm learning new lessons on account of the blessing that my 11-month-old son James has brought to my life. In fact, while writing this sermon in a coffee shop, I became distracted by this beautiful little toddler who was standing on a couch that was right in front of me with those wiggly legs but resolutely trying to stand up, her eyes darting from one amazing sight to the next. And I realized that at one point in my life I would have scolded myself for getting distracted while there was work to be done. But this time I found myself delighted at the treasure of that young child. In our text from Matthew today, Jesus honors children in a most remarkable way. The text begins with Matthew's version of the disciples' question about greatness. They ask him, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Apparently just out of curiosity. You see, Matthew is being gracious here. In Mark, the disciples look a lot worse because an argument about which of them was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven precedes Jesus' teaching about children. Matthew depicts them as asking the question in a more general way, which moves the emphasis from the preceding exchange and the question to Jesus' answer and his response. And to best articulate his answer, Jesus provides a very vivid object lesson. He takes a child in his arms and he says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And lest we wonder what it is about children that makes them fit for the kingdom of heaven, Jesus elaborates. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. For Jesus, children embody the kingdom of God because of their humility. And so our tendency to overlook or ignore children, or I suppose to tend mostly only to our own children, may be a sign of our lack of humility. And our lack of humility, then, is a sign that we're too busy pursuing the world's version of greatness rather than greatness in the kingdom of God. When we think of greatness, we don't often think of children, right? Our minds go to matters of status and hierarchy, spending power, authority and influence, fame and renown, having a platform. Great people, we think, are impressive and prominent, recognizable and striking. They have a brand. But in this competitive race to the top, it's easy to forget and overlook those whose diapers need to be changed, those who have a question about everything they see, those who need help with their multiplication tables. You see, Jesus challenges us to unlearn what greatness is in order to embrace the true greatness of God's kingdom. It's not the desire to be great that's the problem here. 
In fact, Jesus affirms that greatness is something that we should aspire to. But Jesus does turn our understanding of greatness on its head completely. Jesus doesn't say don't be great, but rather here is how you can really be great. And for Jesus, a little child is the best definition of greatness. So we might wonder then what it is about children that make them exemplars of Christ-like humility. What are some of the humble things that children do so well? Well, little children don't always do a whole lot when you think about it, right? I know that James uh, does mostly very trivial things. He moves suddenly from one game to another game, becomes easily fixated on completely inconsequential things. But he sure does give himself fully to whatever it is he's working on. If he's flipping through a book, that's where his mind is. If he's crying at Sunel and demanding she prepare his food more quickly, that's where his mind is. If he's curiously tearing at my ear with his remarkably iron grip, which he's really into lately, that's where his attention is, and also mine. His attention span may be short, but he's remarkably present to whatever is right in front of him. Maybe Jesus sees value in being attentive to whatever task lies before us, whatever person stands before us, however small or insignificant that task may seem to be. Children are also wonderfully excited to learn new things. At each stage of development, there seems to be this internal hardwired curiosity that pushes children to eagerly engage with the world. Most children who are old enough to declare themselves bored are complaining about a lack of stimulation they would otherwise like to have, right? Most children have yet to inquire that ingrained ideological filter many of us unwittingly employ to quickly reject new or different ideas and information. Most children have yet to become burned out on life's pursuits unless we adults have inflicted them with too much pressure to take on our idea of greatness. What's more, children are remarkably open to receiving things. Long before we adults develop too much pride to ask for help when we need it, too much pride to become indebted to someone else, even just indebted to their kindness, long before pride chokes out humility, it is children who love to receive gifts on their birthday. It's children who love to be given a task to go and do. It's children who pursue new experiences with excitement and a smile, whether it's a six-month-old touching a new texture for the first time or a six-year-old going to Disney for the first time. You see, it requires so much unlearning to embrace Jesus' vision of greatness that his language in our text carries a dramatic warning. Jesus says, according to the NRSV, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And the Greek text is even more forceful. A better translation might be, unless you turn your lives completely around, unless you make a 180 degree turn. 
Jesus knows how ingrained in us the world's view of greatness is. He knows there's a lot to unlearn, given how faithfully most of us subscribe to what one theologian calls our culture's piety of achievement. But the stakes are high, because unless we manage this unlearning, Jesus says, we can never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's an important difference between being childlike, which Jesus commends, and being childish, which is surely not a spiritual aspiration, right? The Apostle Paul says elsewhere in Scripture that when he became an adult, he put away childish things. Certainly, we must mature as we grow up. Nor is Jesus telling us to think less of ourselves or to belittle ourselves. To be humble is not to be self-deprecating and certainly not self-loathing. We shouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we ought. That's true. But neither should we think less highly of ourselves than we ought. Loved, redeemed, and claimed by God as we are. Ultimately, Jesus is urging his disciples to forsake the quest for worldly status and to seek instead the status of a child. Humility is a matter of service. It's a matter of embracing little and unrecognizable tasks that benefit little and unrecognized people. Jesus tells his disciples that humility is the true north towards which they must direct their steps. However strongly our aspirational compasses may feel drawn to the magnetic pull of status and hierarchy. As our church has studied Matthew 25 as a paradigmatic text for Christian work in the world, we have repeatedly considered how Jesus doesn't just send his disciples toward those considered least, the poor, the sick, the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the imprisoned. Jesus actually identifies with those populations. And he does the same thing here in this text, which concludes in verse 5 with an echo of Matthew 25. Did you hear it? Jesus says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And so it is that whenever we embrace and magnify children, whenever we're attentive to them and honor the gifts they bring, whenever we teach them the gospel and learn from them how to embody greater humility and true greatness, whenever we welcome children, we welcome Christ himself. And so Jesus' words are a wholehearted affirmation of all manner of things, parenting and grandparenting, adoption and foster parenting, teaching school, teaching Sunday school, being a lunch buddy, coming to RPDS chapel, volunteering with children's enrichment workshops or RBI, investing in your own children, and investing in others' children. Children are a gift from God, and not only for their parents, but to all of us. So how fitting it is to be led in worship today by children. How fitting it is that our service is being live-streamed by our smart and capable youth. How fitting it will be that we're going to celebrate baptisms almost weekly in November and December. I cannot wait. For in the kingdom of God, on the Lord's holy mountain, 
the wolf lying with the lamb and the lion eating straw like the ox are led by a little child. So we must not forget the ways in which we need to be led by children to receive the gift of childlikeness ourselves. So as Pastor Sunel described in the children's message, when you see a child wiggling around in the pews, smile and give thanks for the blessing of children. When children come forward for their sermon, listen carefully to what they might say. When it comes time to volunteer or sign up to help with a children or youth ministry, consider the opportunity seriously. And once again, to all of you choristers in our chorister choir, we're so thankful that you are with us, and we hope you know how important a part of our church you are. We're so thankful for you. Friends, it is our joyous responsibility that we all share to teach and nourish the faith of our children, to recite the word of the Lord to our children, and to talk about it when we're at home and when we are away, when we lie down and when we arise. It's a joyous responsibility of all of us to pass on the faith that we have received. And it's also our joyous responsibility to learn from children, to relearn and relearn from them childlikeness, to glean what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. So may we all receive again and again the gift of childlikeness, that in forsaking our quest for worldly status and embracing the servant leadership of Jesus Christ, we might embody the humility required to enter the kingdom of God. May it be so. Alleluia and thanks be to God. Amen.